All right, let's um, start out with a word of prayer, and we will get into our second session of God, His character, and attributes. Let's pray. Father, we are um, once again humbled to come before you this morning uh, and to encounter the truths that you have for us in Scripture of who you are, your character, and um, the amazing things that we can observe in your character that you've told, that you've told us and, and that we've proven to be true, not only in our own life experience, but um, through careful study, through the faithful study of many faithful men and women throughout the ages. We thank you, Lord. We pray that you would help us to um, internalize what we're going to say, what we're going to study today, and help it to affect our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we are in um, our study of God's character, and I don't think the clicker is working. Is it on the right? Um, is it on the right slide? I mean, yeah. Is it focused? Okay, good. So let's see if it'll work. Okay, we'll test it out in a little bit. Um, so these are the eleven attributes that we will be looking at today. This is not an exhaustive list in any way. This is not some type of inspired list um, or anything like that. It's just basically what the fundamentals of the faith book has said. Um, there's other ones uh, which we'll touch on in a little bit. But last time we talked about three of the 11, which means that today we have to get through in 55 minutes um, the other eight. So uh, it'll be a little bit of a ride, but uh, let's see what happens. <laughs> All right. So last time we talked about holiness. Uh, we, we basically looked at how God um, is, the holiness of God means that he's totally separate from um, not only his creation, he's, he's a separate entity from his creation, um, but he's also holy in the sense that he's separated from all sin, separated from all impurity, unlike us. Um, and his holiness necessarily leads to righteousness and justice. His righteousness is basically um, how he acts. How he acts is always in accordance with his character, which is holiness. Um, it's Whatever he does is right, 100%. And justice is how he dispenses um, I guess, how he basically um, uh, judges, really, the, his creation for violating a lot of, uh, violating his righteousness and holiness. And then sovereignty, uh, we talked about how God is, it's just the idea that God is sovereign. He's the ultimate sovereign. And of course, uh, yesterday there was the coronation of the, I guess, the sovereign of the king of, uh, of, the king of England now. Um, uh, well, we call him a sovereign because, you know, back before all of this sort of play-acting stuff, kings actually had power, and, uh, you know, you had to actually do whatever the king said, or you would lose your head, right? Um, and so it's, it's a, sovereignty means authority. He means all authority is given to God. Um, it, it's really God's. Um, and that's authority not, o- not only over all people, but also all things in the universe, everything that happens. Not one uh, sparrow falls from the sky uh, apart from God's sovereignty. Okay, so today we're going to continue, and we're going to be talking first about the nature, uh, the attribute of eternality. Um, this is an interesting one. This is the idea that uh, God has no beginning, and he has no ending, um, and he's not bound by time. Um, so this is an interesting and a very different, a difficult way of, uh, sort of different, a difficult thing to think about. Um, how can you imagine an entity that is outside of time? Um, God created time and space. And so he sees not only the past, he's outside of time, he sees not only the past, not only the present, not only the, and also the future, and he sees them all equally well. Um, not only does he see what you did yesterday, he also sees what you're going to do tomorrow, and he sees that all with perfect clarity. And this is an interesting um, attribute because it's the one that is um, frequently, you know, in uh, the news headlines today. Um, with the James Webb Telescope, um, a lot of what's been going on in the, in the uh, James Webb Telescope, which we'll talk about a little bit more later, is um, you know, they're, they're, they're finding that all of their models of cosmology um, were wrong. That the universe didn't seem to, it doesn't seem like the data matches up with the, uh, the, the age of the universe that they thought was the age of the universe before they got all of this data from the new telescope. And, you know, this, this, 
this means that secular scientists really can't answer this question of where did the universe come from, right? I mean, the best answer right now, even though it's actually um, just, you know, just if, if you look carefully enough at the literature, it's actually come under a lot of debate. But the best answer right now is the Big Bang. And so, of course, the question is, well, what came before the Big Bang? And you could ask that question. And there's this, there's this uh, famous uh, story from, uh, uh, I can't remember where it came from, but there was this well-known scientist, and he once gave a public lecture on astronomy. And he was describing how the Earth sort of came around the, comes around the sun and rotates around the sun, or revolves around the sun. And then in turn, uh, these, uh, the, the sun rotates around the galaxy. And then at the end of the lecture, and actually, if you can go to the next slide, actually, I don't have to do this. Um, I don't think this is going to work today. Yeah. Okay, we'll just put this up. Um, and if, if some people can just be good enough to sort of look up some of that verses so we can be ready to get there. Um, so at the end of the lecture, a little old lady at the back of the room got up and said, what you have told us is rubbish. The world is really a flat plate supported on the back of a giant turtle. And uh, the scientist gave a superior smile and said, well, what is the turtle standing on? And the woman looks at him and says, well, you're very clever, young man, you're very clever, but it's turtles all the way down. Turtles all the way down. Um, so that's really the best that our world can do. Um, what's before the Big Bang? Well, another Big Bang. What was before that? Another Big Bang. And it's Big Bangs all the way down. But anybody can know that that's not an explanation. You can see that that's not any sort of explanation. That's silly. Um, everything needs a prime mover. It needs something to, uh, to start it up. And you can't explain why there is something rather than nothing. That's a, big unit, that's a big mystery nobody can explain apart from God. But we know that from the Bible, uh, God eternal stepped out of eternity to create the heavens and the earth. So there is no before God because God created even all sense of time. So God is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. In Genesis 1.1, um, it says, it starts out the Bible from, in the beginning, what? God. And it just assumes that God is there. Um, there was no explanation to how that happened, or there's no creator mentioned about God. Um, there, because God has no creator. He is the first and the last, or the Alpha and the Omega. Um, there's two verses here that I want to read, uh, the two Isaiah verses that I have up on the screen. If somebody can read for me Isaiah 44, 6, and then somebody else, if you can get ready, Isaiah 43, 13. These are two of the best verses to memorize. Um, when in, in evangelism, especially to, to well, Mormons, and, but other religions too, um, because they really speak to the eternality of God. So let's read the first one, Isaiah 44, 6. Can somebody read that? Okay, so he is the first... He is the last. There is no God besides him. Um, other religions that say, yeah, there was gods who begot gods, or God was a man, he became a god. All of these religions uh, can't really stand up to this verse. What about Isaiah 43, 13? Can somebody read that for me? Okay, okay so if he's from eternity, and... I think there was actually another verse, but that's okay. That's good enough. Um, so Isaiah, um, in these two passages, makes it clear that God is eternal. And God has always been God. He wasn't a man that became God. Um, it wasn't, he wasn't a small God that was promoted from, to a big God. And um, he is all that there is uh, from everlasting to everlasting. So now let's open up for a little bit of thought. Um, what does this attribute of eternality mean to us? How should it change your life if you fully grasp the concept of God's eternality? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Be with us always. That's actually interesting. I, I put John 3.16 up there. We don't have to read it because we, we all, I think Pastor Dave's going to preach on it in like a week or two. But um, John 3.16, uh, for God so loved the world, he gave it one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life, right, or eternal life. Well, how can God give you eternal life if he's not eternal himself? But because God is eternal, you can trust that your life will also be eternal because as long as God is there, he has promised he will give you eternal life. And if you think about it, God has lent his attribute of eternality to you because you will be eternal with God. That's what that means. John 3.16 tells you you will be eternal. Um, so he can deliver on that promise because he's eternal. And as uh, Glenda was saying, God has already seen all there is to us, right? He, he knows what came before. He's no, he knows what you're going to do tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen to you. Not only does that mean you're perfectly safe because God has told you he will take care of you, um, he will never leave you, but it also means um, that he has already seen everything there is to see of us. Um, there's nothing that will surprise us, surprise him. Never, nothing that will ever make him go, hmm, I don't know, I was, I was wrong about Glenda, you know. Maybe we should, maybe we should do something else. Um, nothing that you can ever do. And I think the last thing that we can consider is, you know, we are creatures that really only see a small segment of our life, right? We, we look forward maybe a year, maybe, maybe not even that, maybe a few days. And that, that's sort of what we experience, and that's sort of like, just what we sort of optimize for in our lives. Um, but if you think about it, God has told you you are an eternal creature. And even if you have an incredibly long lifespan and you live to maybe 120 years old, which is probably something like the record, um, well, what is that in comparison to eternity? It's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket, right? Um, so for us, it lets us take an eternal perspective. It, realize, it lets us realize that what we experience here is just a minuscule fraction of our actual lives. Everything that you've known in your entire life is just an infinitesimally small, almost insignificant portion of your actual eternal life. Um, and so you think about that and you realize, well, I can the wise thing to do is to store up treasures in heaven. Um, it's not to optimize for... Um, you know, this life here, uh, because it, it's short. Life is too short. And then there's eternity. All right. Uh, any other questions on, on eternality before we move to the next one? We've got to make sure that we uh, move on today. Okay. Can we go to the next slide? Okay. The next one is immutability. Immutability. This is the idea that God never changes. And can somebody read to me? Uh, read for me, Malachi three verse six. Somebody will be go, will be so good to to read that for me. And then somebody else, if you could get James one seventeen ready. The immutability of God. Malachi three six. Okay, so the Lord never changes. And James 1.17? Somebody have that? Okay. Right, there is no variation. That means he doesn't change. There's no shifting shadow. Uh, there's nothing in him that, that's, that's sort of shifting. Um, and he will, he will not change from day to day. And that makes perfect sense because God is eternal. He's already seen everything that's happened. He's, he sees the end from the beginning. Um, there's nothing that could actually happen to change God. Um, he, he is an eternal creature. He's always been the way he is. And he will always be eternally the way he is. You know, you and I have mood swings, right? We may have one day, we may be in a good mood. The next day, we might be snapping at people. 
Um, well, God's never like that. God never changes his mind. God never has any regrets. God never learns something new that changes his mind about you. He's already perfect, and he will stay that way. And let's consider now sort of what this means to us. Um, let's consider this question first. What would it mean to us if God did change? What would it mean to us if God was not immutable? Yeah, we wouldn't be secure because how do you know he won't change his mind? How do you know that suddenly, you know, God is holy today and today, tomorrow maybe he won't be holy? Um, God is uh, righteous today, maybe tomorrow he won't be, right? So because God is immutable, we know that he will not change. Uh, what else? He would cease to be perfect. Can you elaborate on that? What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Go ahead. Well, yeah, yeah I wasn't, I wasn't going to get into that, but obviously with, uh, you know, Moses uh, that happened, uh, maybe another part, time, time in Scripture, it says, you know, God sort of repented of what he was going to do. Um, however, if you think about it, you realize that God knows the end from the beginning. And, you know, even his seemingly change of mind was, a, uh, was, a, was basically a reaction to what was going on um, that he had already sovereignly ordained from the beginning. So all of that is within God's sovereignty and within God's um, immutability. Um, none of that was going to change in the beginning at any time at all. Um, and if you ever want to admit uh, the sort of the changing of God's mind, um, you have to really uh, sort of let in a lot of very disturbing sort of doctrines, right? Um, uh, so why won't he change his mind about you? Um, right? So a lot of, a lot of um, you know, what, what would have happened, if, if he can change his mind, does that mean that humans can now, um, can now do things that are Im- unpredictable to God and outside of his control and that God would react to that, right? Um, so that's not the way that uh, the Bible depicts our relationship with God. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you. Um, so, it, so it gives us security, as somebody had said. Um, but it also gives you a sense of awe, because if you think about this, if you think that you're an unbeliever and you get sent to eternal punishment, um, it's a grim reality. God will never change his mind. He will never change his mind. Um, you're there. You will never be let out of God's judgment. Um, and also, if God never changes, that means his word never changes. Right? Yes, Cheryl. Yeah, God, God might change in how, not change, but God might um, adjust how he interacts with humanity throughout the ages. Um, you know, at first in the Old Testament, he deals primarily with Israel, and then in the New Testament, he deals with all of the, basically all of the, the church. Um, but his character, all of the things, in fact, none of, not, nothing in his plan ever changed. 
uh, nor in his character. Um, okay, so that's the immutability of God, and it also gives you a sense of stability in an ever-changing world, right, where people are trying to adjust all of your morality every day, and they're trying to sort of read that into the Bible and say that, you know, God's law is really something that can be sort of a living document. Um, well, God never changes. His law never changed, right? Yes? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, better answer than I gave. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next one um, in the interest of time. Uh, can you uh, advance the slide, please? All right, so uh, the next thing to talk about is the omniscience of God. So now we're going to talk about all of these omni, uh, omni traits, uh, which is basically all, right? Omni means all. So God's omniscience is that he is all-knowing. Um, he's all-knowing. He knows absolutely everything about the universe. In uh, Psalm 147.5, it says his understanding is infinite. It's an infinite understanding. And not only does he know the important stuff that you want to be curious about, who's going to win the next presidential election, things like that, um, but he knows all the most trivial details in your life just as well. Um, in fact, not, a, not even a hair on your head gets adjusted, um, except, you know, for some of us, there might not be that many hairs on our heads. But... Um, not even a hair on our head moves without God knowing about it. Um, not only does he know everything about you, but he knows everything about the entire universe. He knows everything in your life just as well as he knows things going on in the most distant galaxy. He's numbered all the stars in the heavens as well as all the grains of sand on the earth. Um, and not only does he know everything that's happening now, but he also knows everything that's ever happened in the, in the past, and also he knows everything that will happen in the future. He knows with perfect accuracy the history of, think about it, everyone who's ever sat in these pews, all the way up to you know, 18, 20 or something. And he also knows everyone that's going to sit here until, uh, until Christ comes. Um, he knows the trivial, the important, the past, the future, and this is actually the scary one. He also knows all of your innermost thoughts. Not only does he know everything that happens, but he even knows what you're thinking at any moment in time. Um, the things that you will be embarrassed for other people to know about. And um, maybe somebody can read to me Psalm 136, 1 to 6. Is that 139? Could be right. Okay, yeah, read 139. Yeah, that's right. Right, so this is actually, I mean, if you really sit down and think about this for a little bit, this should kind of scare you a little bit. <laughs> I mean, uh, Lord searched you, knows you. He knows not only what you do when you sit down, when you get up, but he understands your thought from far away. Um, he's acquainted with all your ways. He knows you better than you do. He knows you better than you know yourself. You know, we, we can fool ourselves. Into, we lie to ourselves all the time, right? Um, God never does that. God never, always knows the truth. And even before you utter a word, he already knows what you're going to say. And he knows how you're going to say it and what you really mean by that. He knows your 
motivation perfectly for every action, um, whether it be a, no, a noble motivation, whether it be a sinful motivation, even though the outward act may be seemingly righteous, God knows your heart. Maybe you're not doing it out of righteous motivations. Or maybe it's a mix of motivations and he knows exactly what that mix is. Um, there's not a sin in deed or thought you can hide from God. And, uh, you know, I think uh, we just, you know, Pastor Dave just preached on John 2, uh, where it says he knew all people and he knew all the thoughts of the people in the crowd. Um, in Matthew 12, 25, Jesus knows the people's thoughts. And, uh, you know, John MacArthur, when he was talking about this, I think in the sermon, uh, he, he, he said this. He said, the most astounding thing about God is that he knows everything about you and you're still here. Um, okay, can somebody read to me Romans 11, verses three, 33 to 34? Thank you. Um, see, not only does he know all the thoughts, but he's also infinitely wise. Omniscience doesn't mean he just knows facts but he also knows the perfect interpretation of those facts. Um, he knows all of the implications. He knows all the, what, the, what the best courses of actions are. God is infinitely wise. He's never made a mistake. Uh, no one's ever shown God a fresh perspective or suggested a course of action he hadn't yet considered. See, God operates the universe with infinite wisdom, and sometimes we don't agree with that wisdom. Sometimes we think the universe is kind of messed up the way it is. God maybe should have done it this way instead. Um, but, you know, when we disagree with God's wisdom as finite beings who have only seen maybe a few short years um, of existence, uh, we are just laughably arrogant. Uh, God is infinite. He's infinite in knowledge and he's infinite in wisdom. And what he does is perfect. So how does God's omniscience dictate or affect how we should live? What do you think? First of all, it should scare you, right? <laughs> if it wasn't for God's mercy, which we'll talk about later, God's omniscience is, would, be a, would be a horror story. Yeah. Mark, you had something? Oh, yeah. That's definitely true. And not, not only does he know all things, but later on we'll talk about his omnipotence and his, I mean, we talked about his sovereignty. And all of these things together means you're not missing out on anything. Um, everything that God, everything that's good for you, God has already given you. All right. Um, you know, yes, Glenda, we're going to, and then you. It's a humbling thing. Uh, Danny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, early on when I first became a Christian, and uh, I think somebody had told me, um, you should... Okay, okay, so I'm not a bad driver. I mean, okay, maybe I am. So 
I, I should just give you some background information that, you know, um, uh, I, I, you know, I'm a little bit like flighty in my head. So, like, I don't mean to do it, but like, I'm a little bit accident prone, right? Um, so I think I've totaled like three cars in the last like 10 years. But, but uh, no, somebody once told me, uh, you should drive um, as if Jesus is sitting in the passenger seat. <laughs> um, he sees all you do. And, um, you know, when I was younger, when I was younger, you know, people, I was in California. And in California, people drive, you know, fairly badly on the freeways. And you would, uh, you would get cut off, and then you'd be like, oh. Um, but uh, you drive because you drive as if Jesus is in the passenger seat, right? Um, in fact, you do everything as if Jesus is looking over your shoulder. Um, you're on your computer. You know, Jesus knows what you're doing. Um, uh, on, the, on the positive side, uh, you know, one of the problems that we have today is really that people are lonely because they desperately want to be known by somebody. Um, people, are, people are made to have relationships. And sometimes we get depressed because we feel like we're misunderstood. Nobody understands us. Uh, nobody gets our side of the story. Um, but then you realize that God perfectly understands you. He understands your side of the story perfectly. Um, he's never missed any nuance. There's no time where he um, overlooked a factor. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, you, it's possible that uh, the whole world will misunderstand you and persecute you for something that you didn't do. Um, but God knows, and he, he won't let that go. So God also knows every pain, every heartache that you have. And this is, this is also good for people who, whose life is really service to, to the church and to, to people of God. He never forgets any act of service you've done. He never forgets any cup of water you've given, um, even a cup of water that you've given to somebody in his name, um, or any word in passing that you, uh, that you, of encouragement that you've given to a brother. Um, all of those things are accounted for by God, and he will reward you um, for every single thing, even things you've forgotten. Even things you don't think is a big deal. Um, but God will count that for you. All right. Let's talk about the next one. Can we go to the next one? The next one is omnipresence. And again, this is another omni trait. It's, again, one of these things that is all, um, all present. Uh, it's basically that God is always present everywhere. It's present all at once, everywhere, high in the heavens, in the farthest reaches of the universe, and also down here on earth, right in this room. If you think about it, God is present. Um, there's there's a, a lot of sort of popular sort of uh, Christian songs out there uh, trying to call God into the room, right? Kind of sort of calling God into, um, um, you know, the Holy Spirit is present, and they would like to sort of sing things like that. Um, or he's here. And the problem is God is always here. <laughs> you can't call him here. He's always here. Um, he's not here more now than any other time. God is present equally in, every, in, in the same measure, which is infinite, in every place in the universe. Um, so let's start by reading Psalm 139. Uh, can somebody read 139, 7 to 12? I hope I got that psalm right this time. <laughs> This is really interesting. Um, not only is God in heaven, but God is also in hell. Uh, he's God is, is to the east, is to the west. He's in the bottom of the sea where there's no light and no human has ever gone. But the thrust of the psalm that uh, you just read for us, you know, is not just that God is there, but that God is also going to act. And, you know, I don't think you read this part, but later on it says, you know, your hand will lead me. Your hand will hold me. And not, so, so not only is God, God's not present in a passive sense. He's not just there and just sort of like passively watching, but he's actively there accomplishing his purpose. Um, and a lot of times it's holding you, <laughs> upholding you. Um, now, depending on who you are, God's omnipresence is either extremely comforting or 
absolutely terrifying. Um, if you are, of course, one of the people who belong to God and his family, then this means that there is nowhere you can go that God is not there to rescue you. No, there's no place in the universe that's um, outside of God's control. No situation too dangerous. Um, Jesus' promise is that he will never leave you or forsake you anywhere you are. But if you're not part of God's family, and maybe you're running away from God like Jonah, uh, which was an interesting uh, sort of thing, right? The prophet of God who knows God possibly better than everybody, anybody else on the face of the earth at the time was trying to run away from the ever-present God. Well, we try to do that too sometimes. Um, and you should know that your situation is utterly hopeless. It's utterly hopeless. There, there's no escape from God. There's no escape from God anywhere. And of course, in the psalm, Chris, that you just read, God is even there in hell. And you think about it, what is God doing in hell? Well, God is administering his justice. He's doing this in an active way. He's, in a sense, making sure there's never a spark of hope or even a moment of joy because the hell is not a place for that. Hell is a place for eternal justice and where God's holiness, as we talked about last week, is literally burning up those who have not been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. So there's no escape from a never-present God. There's nowhere you can escape. And, uh, in fact... Jeremiah 23. Can somebody read that? Uh, verses 23 to 24. Yep, there it is. Um, you cannot hide from God. There's nowhere you can go. All right, so how should we live in light of this truth? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's also a la added, really, accountability in the sense where, um, you know, there is nowhere, I mean, just being aware that God is present all the time, that God knows everything you're doing, that changes how I act. <laughs> and the, the times where, you know, I don't keep that in mind, you know, I'm prone to go off the rails a little bit. Um, so it's, it, you know, when the, the quote from Tozer, what we talked about last week, where the, the, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Well, if you serve an omniscient and, um, and uh, omnipresent God, and later an we'll talk about in the next one, omnipotent God, uh, that should change the way you act. But if you don't really believe those things, or maybe you've forgotten them, or maybe you, you know them up here, but you, don't really, you haven't really thought through it up down here, um, then that will also change the way you act. Um, one thing, uh, the last thing I'll say about this is, you know, this omnipresence of God is a, uh, it's an attribute of God that is uniquely God. And what that means is, you know, there's no other entity in the universe that's omnipresent or omniscient. Um, and Satan is not omnipresent, right? In fact, Satan you know, goes about on the earth like a roaring lion, seeking who he devours. Well, an omnipresent God doesn't have to do that. You know, he's already sought you out. <laughs> there's nowhere you can go to hide. Um, and uh, Satan is very powerful in, in the sense where you know, he, he's probably, uh, I mean, he's very powerful and he has a minion, he has a whole legion of demons to do his bidding, um, but he's not omnipresent like God is. And so he, there, there's not really even a contest there. Okay, uh, next slide. Uh, so the next one we're going to talk about is omnipotence. Omnipotence. See, God is, this, this means, you know, omni, all-powerful, omnipotence. Um, and all, God is all-powerful. He has more than enough strength to do anything. And in fact, uh, in another quote from Tozer, um, he says that God 
you know, in God, for God, no thing is harder to do than any other thing. You think about that, that's amazing. There's no, you know, lifting um, a small pebble is just as easy for, for God as creating the universe out of nothing. There's, there's no degree of difficulty in tasks for God, right? God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He's all-powerful. Nothing is harder for God than any other thing. Um, everything you can imagine will be equally easy for God. Um, th- this slide, actually, what we talked about the James Webb Telescope um, a, wh- a while ago. Um, so it's, it's just a, a basically the, the best telescope that man has ever created. This is one of the pictures uh, recently from that telescope. Um, it was taken from an area of the sky where if you take a grain of sand and you sort of hold it out at arm's length, um, that's how much of the sky that this picture covers. So uh, basically, you know, the people who took this picture basically said they essentially picked this part out of the sky at random. It's not, um, it wasn't like targeted or anything. So this is just like, the universe just looks like this. I mean, like everywhere. Um, if, if you looked anywhere else, you would see the same thing. The universe is just covered with galaxies. If you think about it, the, um, if, if you sort of look at the calculations, uh, currently they estimate that in the visible universe, we have at least two trillion galaxies. Two trillion galaxies. Each galaxy with something like 100 billion stars. Um, so that is impossible to fully grasp those numbers. You can't, you can't even understand what that means. Um, each star, just one star, would, it can generate enough power to literally wipe out your entire solar system. Um, and God created all of that in a blink of an eye. Um, not even a blink of an eye. Um, the mere utterance of words. Um, so that is the scale of the omnipotence of God. Can somebody read for me Jeremiah 32, verse 17? We have to speed up a little bit. Right, nothing is too difficult for you. And if God's power can create the heavens and the earth, then all of our problems are fully trivial. Right? Nothing, nothing that is difficult for you is actually really difficult for God in any way. Um, and, you know, one thing, of course, the Bible says is impossible is um, how a rich man can enter the kingdom of God. Remember that? And, said, and Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. So God's omnipotence has, has even covered this impossibility. How, how can an unholy man come before a completely holy God, like we talked about last week? And um, we, t- we already know that Jesus declares, you know, God, with God, all things are possible. Even that impossibility, an unholy man can come in the presence of a holy God. God made a way when there seems to be no way. He has the power to save, to heal, to make the nations rise and fall, to raise from the dead. Um, And when faced with the armies of humanity on the last day, God simply laughs. It's not even a battle. So do you realize that, you know, we'll read um, Colossians 1.17, or I guess we'll just read it to you. He said, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. See, not only did God create everything, but he actively sustains it at every moment in time. At every point, if he sort of got tired of sustaining you, he could just simply let go, um, and you would crumble to dust. This is a a terrifying attribute of God. Um, One one verse, Isaiah 40 uh, which is really a comfort to me when I first became a believer and I, I really didn't know what I was doing with my life. Um, and, you know, I was running about to and fro trying to uh, do a whole bunch of stuff um, and I was tired. And Isaiah 40, do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives strength to the weary and to the one who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow tired and weary and tired. Even young men grow tired and weary. And vigorous young men stumble badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. 
Um, how? Well, because God supplies that strength. An omnipotent God supplies strength to you. Um, they will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Um, quickly now, what are some of the implications of this in your life? God's omnipotence. Yeah, you have an infinite battery of power strength, strengthening you from an infinitely powerful God. Yeah, so if you are weak, just like we were saying before, you don't know, you know, you might have a FOMO, you, might, you don't know everything, but you, you serve a God who knows everything. Well, you might not have a lot of power, um, and, but you serve a God who has infinite power. And in fact, all power that, you, that anybody has in this universe is just delegated to them from God. Kings, uh, presidents. Any, any power is, all authority and all power is given to God. Um, you know, I think this is also a salve for people who are prone to be anxious. Because, uh, you know, Isaiah 41.10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. Uh, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Well, if an infinitely powerful God is going to uphold you with his infinite right hand, there's no reason for you to be anxiously looking about you, um, wondering whether or not you're safe. Uh, so you, we depend on, on God's strength and not our own. And the last thing is, you know, you humble yourself that you serve an all-powerful God and, and you be grateful. You even have the power to get out, uh, to get out of bed in the morning. That, that power even is supplied to you from God. So we can only give thanks. Uh, that's what we can do. All right. We have 10 minutes left, and we can talk about love. Now, uh, the next slide. Um, this will obviously be easy, right? Because, I mean, love is uh, such a small topic. All right. God's love. Let's see. We can go to 1,000 verses. We'll do two verses. Um, so 1 John 4.8, and I'll just read it to you in the interest of time. 1 John 4.8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. I mean, have you thought about that? Not, it didn't say that God loves, um, or it doesn't say that God has love, but God is love. God is love. Everything that is love is, is God, and God in his whole being is love. And man, that's a relief. You know, after talking about omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, if it wasn't for God's love, we'd be doomed be doomed. Um, but we're thankful for the love of God. Now, we, we looked when we were talking about those attributes that God is a God of infinite power, of infinite presence, of infinite knowledge, and we marveled at the infinity of those attributes. But when we come to love, we realize, we have to realize that God's love is also as infinite as those other attributes. Um, God is a God of infinite love. Infinite love. Just as mind-bending as his omnipresence or his omnipotence. Um, so what ways can we observe God's infinite love? Well, the first way we can notice is God's love is infinite in duration. Um, Ephesians 1.4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. And so his love was, was from the beginning of the world, from before the foundation of the world. And his love is to everlasting. His love is infinite in duration. Um, he's loved you from the first uh, moment the universe was created, before you even took your first breath. And he's, he will love you even when the, the last spark of the universe dies. Romans 8, 39 says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. His love endures forever. So it's infinite in duration. It'll never end. Um, and suddenly, secondly, God's love is infinite in intensity. It's infinite in intensity. God's love is not like what we experience as human love. That sort of ebbs and flows, right? Maybe I love you for one second, and then the next second you do something that's kind of 
you know, kind of not great, and, you know, uh, I love you a little less. Then maybe, maybe okay, fine, fine, I remember, uh, yeah, you're, you're my um, brother, or you're my son, or whatever, okay, fine, I love you again. But the next day, you do something, eh, I don't know if I like that much, right? So, like, that's how human love is, right? Um, but God's love is infinite in intensity. It's not an academic thing. It's not an intellectual thing. He's not checking off boxes in heaven. Um, you know, God's love for you is a raging passion. It's a raging, passionate love. It's a deeply emotional love, at least that's how it's described in the Bible. Um, God's love never goes, goes cold and never fades with time. Um, in the parable of the prodigal son, uh, Jesus describes God's love when the son comes back to the father after living a life of, of, of wastefulness and, and throwing God's love in his face or throwing the father's love in his face. The father, before the son even finishes apologizing, the father has already wrapped him up in his arms, ran to him, hiked up his robe to run to him, gave him the finest robe, a ring for his finger, and then killed the fatted calf for a celebration because he's overjoyed that his son has returned. And that's the emotion and the delight that describes God's love. And that love is given to you from beginning before the world ends. And, and, sorry, before the world began and when the world ends. Um, it never ebbs and flows. That's, co- that's how God rejoices over you. And not only is it infinite duration and intensity, but it's also infinite in depth because there's no way you can exhaust God's love. Um, the, the word used in the Bible is what? To, to describe God's love is what word? You guys know. Agape, which is unconditional love. It's a love without any conditions. Because that's really hard to wrap our minds around because, you know, that's not how human love works. Um, even in, in, you know, in most cases, maybe there's some exceptions, but in most cases, there's conditions attached to love. You know, don't go on a mass murder spree, <laughs> spree and, and, uh, and, do, and become Hitler, right? Um, that, that's not good. Uh, maybe we'll, we would love that person less. But God, God's love has no conditions at all. Um, God's love is not transactional. It's not, I'll love you until you can't carry your weight in the relationship. It's not, I'll love you uh, until you do something horrible. Um, in fact, listen to this. You have nothing to offer God, and you never did at any point. You have nothing to offer him that he would possibly need. Um, yet, he loves you without condition. So you sin a million times, and every time you do that, you throw God's love back in his face. Yet, he loves you exactly the same. Romans 8, 32, I'll just I'll read that. Um, he, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us, give us all things? He's already gave, given his son. Um, that was the deepest and truest expression, expression of his love. A son who, who loved and adored him, who uh, never sinned in his life. He gave up his son for basically convicted criminals like us who richly deserve the punishment coming our way. Would you do that? Would you give your righteous son for some random criminal who deserves his own fate? That's what God did. And I'll just finish with this, uh, at least to put the love part, and then we'll try to do the other ones really fast. John 17, 23. This is, this is just the amazing verse, um, one of the most amazing verses that's in the Bible, I think. It says, when the word world will know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you loved me. This is Jesus talking about, um, you know, high priestly prayer. And he says to, that God loves you even as he has loved Jesus. Which means God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. And, you know, it's been said that, you know, that's actually, that, that would be sort of heresy to say that if it were not written in the pages of Holy Scripture. Um, because how, how, would that, how would that even be possible? How could he love you with that kind of love? Okay. Um, we're, we're just going to move on real fast in interest of time. So truth. Uh, can you go to the next one? All right, truth. You know, I tell my God, I mean, I tell my kids that God is omnipotent. But there's one thing that he can do, that you can do, Sorry, my, one thing that you guys can do that he can't. And what is that? Lie. That's right. You guys can lie, but God can never lie. 
And Titus 1-2 basically says, God can never lie. God is the God of truth, it says in Psalm 31-5. And in John 16-35, even the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. The Son is also the, the, the it, it says in other places in the Scripture, that the Son is also truth, Jesus is also truth. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Um, so even Jesus is truth. So every word that God utters is true. Every promise he makes is fulfilled. He never deceives you. Um, he never sort of shades the truth to, to sort of get her, to sort of like uh, to, to deceive you or fool you. Um, God is the God of truth in the same way that God is the God of love, in the same way God is the God of omnipresence or omnipotence. Um, his truth is also infinite. And that means that we can trust God's truth completely expressed in the book that he wrote for us. And we can trust that his truth, um, that, that when, he, when he says that your sin can be forgiven, when he tells you how the world came to be and how it will end, um, when he tells you the nature of man and uh, who he, you know, what, that, that he is a fallen man, um, that he will go to judgment, um, you can trust those things. And when he tells you that you can have victory over sin, that in fact, he has given you all power that you need for sanctification. You can trust that as well. Um, so this is I'll, I'll, this, this uh, next verse, Romans 3, 4, um, is really, I think, the capstone verse of this section, which says, let God be true and every man a liar. Um, and we know every man is a liar. And not only do men lie, they don't also know very much, right? Men has very limited experience. And even if you knew 1% of everything that there is to know in the universe, your knowledge would still be so severely limited. Um, but God is, knows everything. And he communicates to you with perfect truth. All right, the last thing is mercy. Um, and just give me one minute for this. Um, in order to understand mercy, uh, mercy is basically, you know, compassion upon those who oppose God's will. And to understand mercy, you have to understand the wrath of God, right? So think about this. When Adam, and, when Adam sinned and the world fell into chaos and the whole universe was cursed, his sin was basically that he watched his wife eat fruit that she wasn't supposed to eat. And um, that's a pretty trivial sin by comparison to the things that we do, isn't it? And, um, you know, I have a bucket of candy out on the dining room table because of, you know, all of these holidays and stuff. There's just candy that just piles up and we're, you know, we don't really know what to do with it. We don't want to eat it. We tell the kids they can't really eat it. Um, but then we don't want to throw it out because we're Asian. Can't throw out free stuff. So it just like sits there and then they, it just sort of evaporates. Like after, a, after some time, like the candy's like not there anymore. And you know the kids ate it, but you know, we never told them they could eat it. Anyways, the point is, um, we sin millions of times a day worse than Adam and Eve have sinned, right? How many universes should be destroyed for your sin? Just even this morning, how many universes should be consumed because of your sin? For, for Adam's sin, the entire universe, all of mankind was cursed, right? Um, so you think about that, and you, you can now realize what is at the heart of God's mercy. God's mercy is not giving you what you righteously deserve. Um, you're, you're the destroyer of universes, but God did not give you what you deserve, which is justice and wrath. And instead, mercy fundamentally means you get to live. So Ephesians 2, 4 to 5, God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. You get to live. God's mercy means you get to live. 1 Peter 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So God's mercy means we deserve to die, but we get to live. Um, that's all the time we have today. Next week, I think uh, Khalif will be up to talk about, I can't remember what the next one is. Yes. Okay, good. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. I know we went long. Um, let me just close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to study your attributes, even in this limited time. There's so much more to say, but um, 
Lord, I trust that you will um, help these people as uh, these truths seep into their hearts, that you would have it accomplish your purpose. Help them to live in light of these truths and help us to um, conform our lives to who you are, that understanding who you are will change us. I pray this in Christ's name.